We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Welcome everybody back, Steve with Sense Fidelity. I'm coming at you with Doug with Loretto Publications. Again, we're gonna, but this time we're talking about scripture. The stupid question is why is it important? Why even have it? What sources can you use for it? Are there any commentaries? Things like that. So, Doug, welcome back. How you doing? Very well, Steve. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, so you guys have uh quite a few Bible Bibles and Bible commentaries. So why is study of scripture i'll give you the softball question first why is it important well i'm i'm forget who said it but um someone said one time that ignorance of scripture is ignorance of christ jerome saint jerome all right so well he's the appropriate man to have <laughs> said that because of course, St. Jerome's uh, great accomplishment um, was the Vulgate Scripture. Mm -hmm. um, any Catholic that wants to, you know, seriously study and under, understand his faith, and especially the history of the Church, beginning with Genesis, um, Scripture is should be a part of every Catholic's everyday life. Mm -hmm. You go to Mass every day, you're always hearing Scripture, but uh, many people read scripture every day. I do. I have a, a little booklet that Loretto publishes called The Daily Reading Plan. It was published by the Benedictines back in the 1930s or 40s. And uh, it's, a, it's a great uh, scheme for reading scripture. It gives you about 15 minutes of reading each day. And if you follow it faithfully, uh, it goes according to the liturgical calendar, you know, the ancient regular liturgical calendar and uh so if you follow that plan every day for 15 20 minutes then every year you read the complete new testament and half of the old so uh is that I'm, it right there the daily bible reading with the church that's right that's it um it's only five bucks and um it's a very popular uh, a lot of people have it. They just keep it inside their Bible, uh, you know, usually bedside reading or early morning reading whenever you, you know, you do your prayer life and so on. And uh, you follow that plan. And so I've been following it since 1980s. So that means 40. I've read the New Testament 40 times and the Old Testament 20 times uh, just in those little those little snippets each day. Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so the question, you know, comes up. You know, our one of our uh, subtitles here of our company, Loretto Publications, the Douay Reims Bible People. Um, years ago, in, in the 1930s and 40s, there was a lot of people who wanted to sort of modernize scripture. And um, 
the Douay Reims Bible, which was the Catholic Bible that was used by English speaking people for hundreds of years, ever since the uh, 1500s, uh, was kind of shunted aside. But uh, I've always preferred the Douay Reims. Uh, it was the scripture that was read in the English versions at mass throughout my, all my years growing up. And so you, you, you get to have a familiarity with it. Uh, you know, so much of scripture just becomes a part of your daily life, your daily thinking, things, lines from scripture, thoughts of our Lord, they're always popping into your head. So since the purpose of Loretto is to train Catholic apostles, um, Scripture should be the base and the foundation of all our learning. Uh, it can be read in large chunks. Sometimes people take one book of the Bible and read it all the time. But the best way, the most consistent way, in line with the famous phrase repetitio es mater studiorum, the repetition is the mother of all learning, mm -hmm. Scripture should be at least for a small amount of every day of our life, our, our time. So there are many, many different Bibles out. And of course, if you look at, at all the Protestant Bibles, there are hundreds, maybe thousands <laughs> of versions. And since most people don't, don't read the Latin, um, they're in the vernacular languages. And it's extremely important when they're translated into the vernacular language that the, the translation is accurate and, and, uh, and sound. So what is the official Bible of the Catholic Church is the Vulgate of St. Jerome. Vulgate means common. So it was translated uh, into the common language of the day in, in the early 400s by St. Jerome. And what was it translated from? Scripture was not originally in Latin. It, it, was, it was in English. <laughs> It was in King yeah. James English. <laughs> King James, which actually is not one of the worst translations, but uh, <laughs> it's not accurate. It's yeah. not accurate. And many of the modern Catholic uh, versions are not accurate. A friend of mine, Tom Nelson, who uh, had a publishing company years ago, uh, TAN, Thomas A. Nelson Publishing Company. It's interesting because there are two Thomas Nelson publishing companies. Uh, Thomas A. Nelson is a famous Protestant publishing house, but Tom Nelson, the Catholic, who started the publishing house back in the 1970s, his name was Thomas A. Nelson, but he couldn't use that be because it was the Protestant name, so he called his business Tan. Uh, but they were the early promoters of the Douay Reims Bible, and um, Loretto Publications, you know, picked it up and and has been publishing it since we began operations. Uh, the Douay is a very strict literal interpretation of the Vulgate of St. Jerome. St. Jerome's book has been sort of canonized, you might say, by the church. And it's the official, been the official uh, Bible of the Catholic religion since the time of St. Jerome in the 400s. Uh, but the Douay is the English version that was published by the English expatriates in the 1500s. Um, of course, most people know a little bit about the history of the Protestant Reformation in England and how terribly the Catholics were treated and, and uh, persecuted there. And that the only way they could have any priests left at all 
was if they were educated on the continent. Mm -hmm. So Cardinal Allen and many other people founded a seminary in Douai, which then later had to move to Reims. Mm -hmm. There are two towns across the channel in Northern France. And that college at Douai uh, produced many, many saints. They were trained for the priesthood and they went back to England and were martyred. Mm -hmm. So uh, at Douai, one of the most important functions other than training priests was the transcription of the Latin Vulgate into the English language so that they could be smuggled in and given to the English people. Uh, the Douai predates the King James Version. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Douai dates from the 1500s. The King James was early 1600s. Um, but this, the, the Douai is the New Testament and the Reims is the Old Testament. Uh, because and it predates the, uh, Bishop Barron's Word on Fire Bible by 500 years. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. And, <laughs> we won't and get into that one. The New American <laughs> Bible, the Jerusalem Bible, the New Standard Revised, whatever all these are. Not anything but the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> not <laughs> actually the Bible. Bible. <laughs> yes. I did, I, did a, um, I did a lecture, this is long ago, five, six, seven years ago, at my old parish in South Carolina, and uh, it was on Our Lady in Ecclesiastes 2222. I am the mother of fair love. And, and they, fear, they all looked at each other. Oh, yeah. I never heard that before. I go, I'll give you my car. Go to that Bible in the back corner and right. pull up that chapter and see if it just says what I show. And I'll show you the text. And it, it was told it wasn't even the same chapter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I love that because that's the that's the uh, uh, reading for the epistle for the Feast of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. I am the mother of fair love and of fear and of holy hope. It's a great one. Yeah, it's <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, Tom Nelson published, he wrote himself a little booklet called Which Bible Should You Read? He published it back in the 1970s, or early 80s, and it, it laid side by side four or five different scriptural references and took certain sections of the Bible to show how these modern things did not match up with the Douay or the Vulgate. Um, he tested the New American, the Knox Bible, I don't know, the King James, several others. And it was really an eye-opening little booklet. But uh, since scripture itself warns us about reading scripture without faith, without piety, and without guidance, uh, it's important that we have guidance and understanding when reading scripture because it is difficult to understand. So the early tradition of the church, one of the most important things the earliest fathers and doctors did the first three, four, five hundred years was to read scripture, to study it, and these were men of deep faith and piety, and to comment upon it. So the tradition of commentary on the scriptures or explanations of it, exegesis, some people say, uh -huh. um, is very ancient. Uh, around the year 1200, Thomas Aquinas put together a book called the Catena Aurea, 
that's uh, the old paper bag version. We only have a few of those left. We're not selling those anymore. Um, but the Catena Aurea was a collection. Catena means golden chain, the chain, chain of gold. And he gathered together all the commentary that he could find from the fathers and doctors on Holy Scripture. Uh, he did, he published four volumes um, on the four gospels. Mm -hmm. Now, it isn't that there wasn't commentary on other scriptures as well, but he focused on the New Testament, specifically on the four gospels. And it was a standard work of Catholic um, biblical and scriptural exegesis for centuries. Now, we have published a new Catena. That, that bl blue copy there is, is the new one. It's a Catholic version. The other one, the, the uh, gray cover one, is a duplication of a publication that was made by the Anglicans in the 1800s. In fact, it was John Henry Newman who translated the Catena Aurea into English shortly before he became a Catholic. I, I like to think that his work on the Catena was one of the things that prompted him to come home to Rome. Uh, but the problem with the, that Catena is that, number one, it uses the King James Bible. So all the scripture is King James. And number two, the commentary is... Um, we've updated it by putting mo more modern references. Most of the references to the texts in there were to ancient manuscripts in the library of the Ambrosian or the Vatican or wherever. Now we have a lot of online and more modern publications referenced in there. So it's a, it's a ca completely Catholic version. Uh, so after the Catena, now there were many, many, many commentators throughout the centuries on Holy Scripture. Um, but in the 20th century, there's a whole different spirit of commentating on scripture. The, the best and the greatest uh, commentator that I'm aware of is Cornelius Halapide. Uh, the Vulgate was published by St. Jerome and became the standard Bible in the Catholic Church. <clears throat> and he knew Hebrew Aramaic, Greek, and Latin. And he, he went to Jerusalem to collect all the old codexes, including the Septuagint that dates to the time of Alexander the Great, the, the famous Greek Septuagint. And so his scripture is considered the absolute best. The Douay is, a, is an accurate and uh, very precise re rendering of the Vulgate into English. And the uh, the commentary of Cornelius Lapide is from the 1600s, early 1600s. When these early fathers and doctors commented on the scripture, the most important thing about their work was the holiness of the men who did it. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that many people began to study and comment on scripture in the 1500s, but they were unholy men. And therefore we wind up with things like the King James Bible and the Lutheran and the Calvinists and all the various- The killer Bible, thou shalt kill, things yeah. like that. 
the private interpretations of all these scriptural, you know, people. And of course, people tend to forget that these men were all Catholics. I mean, Luther was an Augustinian monk. Mm -hmm. So, but, but they, without faithfulness, without deep piety and devotion, commenting on scripture easily leads into all sorts of crazy directions, as we can see. Now, Cornelius Alapide was a Jesuit. He was a from Flanders, Fl a Flemish Jesuit, what is today modern-day Belgium. Um, the Jesuits, you know, were founded in the 1500s as the Papal Army, uh, special, I mean, the actual, the first name of the, uh, the group of men who founded the Jesuits was the Company of Jesus. It was a military term. Uh, and their early focus on deep scholastic uh, philosophy and learning produced some incredible minds, uh, incredible uh, saints in the first 100, 200 years of the Jesuit history. And Cornelius Alapide was one of those. His actual name was Cornelius Stein, S-T-Y-N, uh, S-T-E-Y-N, uh, but it, it's the Dutch word for stone. And the Latin word for stone is Alapide. So when he got to Rome, they just started calling him Alapide. Um, but he was trained um, in scripture and he taught scripture all his life. And scripture was the, the, the focus of his entire labors as a Catholic priest. Um, from 1619 or so, he spent the rest of his life in Rome and he was very close friends with two other Jesuit saints, a young man named John Berkmans, uh, St. John Berkmans, mm -hmm. was a very close friend of his, and also uh, Robert Bellarmine, who was a Jesuit cardinal and a doctor of the church, actually. Uh, with Bellarmine, he decided that they needed a more deeper, modern, up-to-date in those days, scriptural commentary. Part of the reason was, first of all, because they wanted to dig deeper. They wanted to learn more. They wanted to spread this learning of scripture throughout the world, but also as a counteroffensive against the Protestants who were manipulating, using scripture to destroy the face of, of countless Catholics. So Robert Bellarmine commented on the Psalms. We have his book, uh, that's one of our publications, his commentary in the Psalms, which is phenomenal. It's a fantastic one, yes. It's really, it's an exceptional piece of work. Um, but Cornelius Alapide worked on all the rest of it. And unlike St. Thomas Aquinas, who merely collated scriptural commentary from the fathers and doctors, Alapide wrote a lot of his own commentary in addition Mm -hmm. So it's it's like the Catena, but with a lot of his own his own uh, learning and interpretations, and of course he was in consultation with many learned men in Rome at the time. His Jesuit fellows, usually often Jesuits in those days, were buried in a common grave because it was part of their humility. They just mm -hmm. thought, they, humility. yeah, um, they they actually buried. Alapide in a separate grave because they was were sure that he would be exhumed and 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 the process for his beatification 
um, begun not long after his death. He was that highly respected by the, the Romans and the Jesuits of his mm -hmm. day. Uh, but his commentary is on, he commented on every single book of Holy Scripture except Job and Psalms, which St. Robert did. Um, and it was all written in Latin, of course. That was the language of scholarship and the language of the church in those days. It was what the people read. Yes, it was the it was, common. There was a great line of uh, either people could read Latin or they couldn't read. <laughs> right, right. It was the language of all education at, at the higher levels. Now, this this commentary, of course, was read by Catholics in Latin for a couple hundred years. But in the late 1800s, already the use of language of Latin um, among the common Catholics uh, was falling off. Uh, and so this commentary was sort of lost to the vast majority of Catholics. And interestingly enough, it, like the Catena Aurea, Alapide's work was not translated into English until the late 1800s, not by Catholics, but by Anglicans. Mm -hmm. Thomas Mossman um, translated the four gospels and several of the epistles into English, along with a couple of his friends, Mossman, by the way, was part of that high Anglican church heritage that that was deeply influenced by St. John Henry Newman and the Oxford movement. And he actually became a Catholic himself before his death, as did Reverend Lee and several others of his companions. So they made this English translation and the Mossman was available for a long time from the 1880s or 90s in the United States. Uh, right up until the time uh, uh, Loretto decided to work on his publication. Now, the reason we we even chose a Lapide was because um, this was the fav favorite work of Saint Benedict Center and the Slaves of the Immaculate. It was the heart and soul of their their scriptural reading and so on. Yeah, it's one of the best. <laughs> it, it's absolutely it's the best there is. So we took the Mossman edition and had a Latin scholar compare it to the original Alapide, which we have all the original Alapides in Latin, and found out that even though the translation was very accurate, in other words, it was an excellent translation from the Latin to the English, about a quarter to sometimes even a third of the work was expurgated. It, they just didn't translate it. So the books were much smaller and much of the information was lost. So we restored all that that was missing, tinkered a little bit with a, a couple words here and there in the translation and have published it, the uh, four gospels as a four volume set. And we've also been working on others. We have Galatians, Corinthians one and two, and the epistles of St. John and St. Jude now available from, of course, there are 33 volumes in the Latin. Yeah, yeah, and we're along. I mean, I will never live to see. You're just starting. <laughs> <laughs> we're just starting, um, and it's difficult now to get excellent Latin translators to do this work because it's not only ecclesiastical Latin; it's also medieval scholastic Latin, mm -hmm. and there's a difference. And so, trying to find people who are qualified 
to make an adequate translation is, is difficult, but we're continuing to forge ahead. Uh, now, this goes back to the destruction of the language itself. You kill the language, you kill the fathers. I mean, until like you yourselves and uh, Ryan and Mediatrics and others that translating Bellarmine Alphonse's Alapide, you destroyed the language. You do, you don't have Alapide, Bellarmine, and Thomas. That's and that's no offense to Scott Hahn and people like that, but you have to transition from these guys to modern guys, and it's just eliminating 1,800, 300, 500 years of terrific, you know, scholarship. Yes, yeah. That's one of the things, uh, you know, that to me, that was the greatest achievement of uh, John the Twenty-Third's pontificate was the issuance of his encyclical, Veterum Sapientiae. Mm -hmm. We got, the, we got the Institute here in uh, the diocese in Charlotte. Veteran Sapiency Institute? Uh, a group, uh, Father Barone uh, started it up down here because he was upset about the thing and he's been preaching about the how the importance of the uh, encyclical and the history behind it. And we got it. It's actually a group down here that he leads. Oh, that's fantastic. I'll hook you up with him. Yes, do. Um, I may find some Latinists that could help me out. There's quite a few um, of them there. <laughs> that uh, that uh, encyclical is almost prophetic mm -hmm. because it came out just before Vatican II. And he was strongly saying that we absolutely must protect Latin in the liturgy and in the life of the church. Seminary training should all be in Latin. It has to remain. I mean, it was a very powerful encyclical. And, and then it's right on the altar at St. Peter's. Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, and it was promptly forgotten after yep. Vatican II. Probably about a week later. <laughs> <laughs> so I know, down in that dark hole that they have in the Vatican. Where <laughs> you actually, if you go to Rome and you ask about it, they kill you. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, anyway, um, so uh, Alapide, and the, and when you read these works by Alapide, you begin to see the depths. I mean, Holy Scripture is, it's, it's, the depth is just, it, it, it will never be exhausted. I mean, if the world goes on for another 5,000 years, which who knows if it will or not, uh, they, they will not plumb the depths of Scripture. Mm -hmm. uh, there'll be more insights, more depths revealed. And as time goes by, some of the things in Scripture come out more into focus. Mm -hmm. Certain times in the history of the church, there every age has its particular peculiar heresy that that afflicted that century or that period of time. And so in order to combat these heresies, people dig deeper into scripture and see what our Lord had to say. And it's all there. Mm -hmm. Every tool we need to live our faith, to get holy, to defend our faith against its enemies, to for work for the salvation of souls is all there in Holy Scripture. I tell young kids all the time, you want to know what's happening in Washington, D.C. and all these places, you know, where the new world orders. Oh, just read Scripture. The whole story is right there in Scripture. Mm -hmm. We have our Herods. We have our Pilots. We have our wolves and sheep's calling. We have our Judases. We have our Peters. We have everybody there. It's all there. You just keep reading Scripture and then watch the news and you'll see it all playing out all over again. Yeah, there's one priest I have on the channel. He, he quotes Romans 120 all the time saying, you know, he goes, we're watching this in lifetime. When you stop praying, 
you your thoughts become vain. You look and look look around. Just normal normality is. You got people all over the abnorm, abnormality has become normal. Yes, yeah. The lying fables. They're the itching yes. ears. They will hear. I mean, those phrases are so powerful. You can just think about them over and over and look around you and say, "Oh my gosh, yes." You know, we even have those those the Nicodemuses and our Joseph of Arimathea's that come to our Lord by night because they're afraid of being publicly exposed as real Christians. Um, it's it's fantastic. Um, but it, so the study of scripture and the deepening of our understanding of it continues. And we've published some works, some very recent works, at least two of them that I, I wanted to mention on this show that specifically are fantastic. Now, one of the books that's most under attack in our day ever since the uh, 1800s has been the book of Genesis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have a book called Genesis According to the Saints, and it was done by a young uh, man from uh, Albany, New York, Daniel Clow. Uh -huh. And he has gone back and studied every one of the fathers and doctors because nowadays with <laughs> the internet and the ability you you don't have to go to rome and go to milan and go to paris and study in the libraries yes you can find this stuff online it it's it opens things up to a, a number of avenues of research he has collected all the writings of the fathers and doctors on only the first three chapters of genesis mm -hmm. and put it in this one book he, he doesn't comment he just has the fathers and doctors there and it's amazing the unanimity among these fathers and doctors over time and geography mm -hmm. yes there are a few little differences among the fathers and doctors which there is latitude in the church for different understandings or different interpretations but the unanimity is phenomenal and as, a, as an opposition to the problems going on in the world today relative to Genesis, I mean, there was that famous story of the, uh, the bishop, I, I might have been Bishop Ford, I'm not sure, in uh, China when the communists, Mao's co communists came in, they would gather all the townspeople together and send people in to talk to them, to explain to them about communism and what was happening. Mm -hmm. And... The bishop wanted to know what was being taught there. Oh, well, are you reading from, you know, Marx or Lenin or Engels or any of the, oh, no, no, we're reading Charles Darwin. We're teaching mm -hmm. them evolution. Mm -hmm. Well, what does evolution have to do with communism? Well, it's the foundation of it. Yeah. Everything is there. So to combat evolution, and there's this Colby Center um, mm -hmm. that, fantastic work uh, on on the the basis of because genesis is the beginning from the it's the basic of, basis of our faith and leo writes about that in one of his encyclicals yes yep uh, yeah many many encyclicals of the of the popes discuss the importance of scripture yeah uh, warning so, that if you if you end up basically if the if you end up taking away this this is fable or fiction you're going to lose the younger generation and Hmm. We haven't seen that happen. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know where you live. <laughs> Actually, my, my love language is sarcasm. Yes. <laughs> uh, 
anyway, Genesis, according to the saints. And, and the other one is, uh, we just published it last, uh, like two years ago. It's called Burning Bush, Burning Hearts. Uh, it's by a, a young man named David Cranick. Um, there it is. Brian Cranick, Burning Bush, Burning Hearts. And that's referring to the burning bush is the bush of, of Moses. Burning hearts is that line uh, when they were on their way to Amos. Weren't our hearts burning within us as he opened up the scriptures to us? This is a this entire volume is dedicated to an explanation of the book of Exodus and the mass of the Catholic Church. Not the new mass, but the mass that we've always had is all there in, in Exodus. The entire liturgy of the Catholic Church is all prefigured so clearly and so perfectly in the book of Exodus that, I mean, I thought I knew a lot about it. You know, you have this idea, oh, I know a lot about scripture. But when I read this, I was, as they, they say today, blown away by the amazing a depth of, of this man's uh, understanding and scholarship on, on the book of Exodus. Uh, so that's a, it, it's a fascinating, I, and I had a fellow come into the office yesterday, he and his wife, he's in his eighties. Um, and he said, he wanted to buy three more copies of the book. I said, Bob, what do you need three copies? Oh, he says, well, I've read it twice already and I can't wait to read it again, but I got to give it away to people because there's, a, there's other people that need to see this and read huh? it. It's so exciting. So uh, uh, it makes us glad when a book that we publish has that much of an influence on on people. When you see a good commentary, things like that, it gets you. It is, as the as the title says, it will burn your heart. You you find gold. You want to you want to dig for more, and you want to show other people, hey check out this gigantic pit of gold that we just found. And you'll love it. If I like, just like a movie. I mean, people say Top Gun. Hey, go out and watch Top Gun. I loved it. Blah, blah, blah. Why yeah. can we don't do that with church books, Catholic books, saint books, things like that? Hey, man, you got to read this. Some people do, but we we need more. Uh, real zeal for evangelization is what Loretta was all about. Right. That's, that's our, our goal. And, uh, Devotion to scripture. If you think of uh, Leon de Pont, uh, Pius IX said he was the greatest miracle worker in the history of the church. He had the holy face image on one side with a burning candle. And yeah. on the other side, he had the scriptures, both in French and Latin. And he was a layman with no theological degree with right. a candle burning in it because he said that was the face of Jesus in words. Very interesting. The face of our Lord in words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Great. That was back when people could read and actually could, you know, not could read, read, would read instead of turning on the TV, playing on their iPhone and knew the script. He knew it. And he's not a, the a theologian. He knew it by heart. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like one of us. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, you know, you, you love what you know and you know what you love. You, you know, it, you go into it. And I mean, how can you not when you're, Sometimes, I mean, and I've read read it so many times, but every time you read it, there's something new, something different, some slightly different angle or thought pops into your head about it. It's the work of grace in, in your soul. Uh, we, we have another uh, 
book of scripture commentary that's more modern uh, or, or that's also 20th century. Um, and it's called The Divine Parables Explained. Oh, this is that that book you just focused on there, the one by... I jumped the gun. I saw a third millennium. I think oh, I thought he was talking about that one. <laughs> uh, this is a priest named Father John McCarthy. Um, he died recently, but um, he was from the Diocese of St. Louis. And he published this book with us about 10 years ago. It's, it's, a, it's a description. It's really a, a scholar's book. But what he's looking at is where did scriptural scholarship go wrong in the 20th century and how to correct it. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a guidebook for people who want to study scripture and comment on it. It's very, very good. Uh, but the one I was thinking about was by Father Prachensky. Divine Parables Explained. There it is there. And um, he wrote this specifically for Protestants hmm. because he wanted them to understand our Lord spoke in parables and he said, I speak in parables first to make it more clearly understood, but also to hide its meaning. Mm -hmm. Because, so what is the distinction? Why was it made it clear for some and less clear for others? It depended on the goodwill of the hearer, on their, you might say, predisposition to grace. So those of his disciples that were disposed to hearing the truth from him, the parables were illuminating. But to those who didn't love him, they were confusing and they couldn't understand. So he wrote this book for Protestants saying, you don't understand the parables. You, you say you read the scripture all the time and you wave it and it's our book, and but you don't get it. You don't understand it. This was written about the 1890s. He's a, a, a Polish Jesuit here in the United States. It's a really excellent book, Divine Parables Explained. I know a lot of priests who use this and in their sermons, they, they view for, for uh, sermon work. And we sell a lot of the Elapide commentaries to priests because they find in there um, tremendous resources for their homilies. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the four volume set. Yeah, help these guys out to get the, uh, the rest of the <laughs> translations out there, or we all can learn Latin and not worry about that afterwards. I mean, that, yeah. That'd be the easiest thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it used to be, of course, there were a lot of, you know, Catholic religious that would do these translations as part of their aura labora, you know, their, their life work. Um, but now most of the people who are real Latin scholars are highly educated laymen, mm -hmm. And uh, the, because the priests are too busy to do it, um, I've had a number of university professors say, yeah, I'll start working on it. But then they're just they're too busy. Mm. Um, and if you do get a qualified layman, sometimes they, they want an awful lot of money to do it. And, and it's hard to sometimes because you have to come up with all the money first to get the translation done. And then you have to you know, proofread it, lay it out, and get it printed. And by that time, uh, the thing is going to cost 
a lot more than you yes. think it, it should, but <clears throat> we're, we're still working um, on getting more, more translations because the people who buy it um, absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. You uh, can't go wrong on Bible. As you as brought up at the beginning, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. And that was actually what uh, my brother texted me up. It was back in October of, uh, I think it was 20, 2000. It was, it was one of those, eh, up, you know, <laughs> it was one of those things that just needed a jab in my head to do it. And that was the first time I read Matthew on Monday, Matthew, Mark on Tuesday, Luke and John Wednesday, Thursday. I went, what's next? It was the first time I sat down and read them all and just really looked at them. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you see a lot of um, conversion stories. You'll see that people change from just reading the the love the love letters from God. Yes, yeah. It's very powerful. I mean, not by bread alone does man live, but by every word that cometh forth from the mouth of God. But we read plenty of blogs, but do we read plenty of scripture? Right, right. So, uh, so the two Bibles, well, actually, we published three Bibles. The first is the Latin Vulgate, uh, which is in three volumes, uh, the New Testament in one and the Old Testament, because it's much larger, is divided into two. And what we have is the Latin Vulgate on one side of the page and the English Douay on the other side of the page. So those people that want to have Latin and English right opposite each other and they can, you know, it helps to learn Latin a lot. If you're not unfamiliar with Latin or you're just a beginning learner, um, many schools who teach Latin will use, for example, the Missal or this Vulgate edition to get people to reading from English into Latin and getting to, to learn Latin. Uh, but that's the official Bible of the Catholic Church is the Vulgate. Uh, the next, the other one, the second one we have is the Douay version itself. The small one, it's a $50 books, leather covered, very nice, very handy size. And um, this is just what they call the, you know, the straight scripture itself. There's a couple of footnotes by Chaloner, but it's primarily just the scripture without commentary. The third one is the large scripture, the, the Haydock edition. Haydock. And this is an absolute treasure. George Haydock was an English priest. Um, from He was born in the mid-1700s, and he lived until the 1830s or 40s. I forget exactly. Um, he, his family, they were Lancashire folk, and they were from an old what they call recusant family. In other words, they were Catholics. And the family history, he has uh, a blessed and very holy man in his family tree. He was the youngest of a number of children, seven or eight children, I believe. Uh, And he became a priest, but this was in the 1700s. He was educated at Douai in France uh, and actually just barely escaped f- from from France with his life intact in 1795 during the French Revolution, they went to attack and close the in- Catholic English seminary in Douai. And um, he escaped by pretending to be a fisherman and get on a boat and go over to England. 
but since he was a priest there then, and so from going from a life of scholarship in, in Douai back to England, he was assigned to be a parish priest, but there was no hierarchy in England at the time. There was no bishops, no cardinals, nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he was just assigned by a vicar apostolic to some remote small parish. And he spent all his life as a parish priest in numerous small parishes throughout England. But his life's work was this Douay Bible with commentary. Now, all of this commentary is, yes, he collected a lot from the fathers and doctors, but much of it is his own commentary as well. And the beauty of this book, it's a very large eight and a half by 11 book. Many Catholic families, especially uh, American families of Irish or English descent, will remember this Bible that they have may have a family Bible from the 1800s. It was a massive tome, bound mm -hmm. leather, sometimes clasped with metal clasps and, you know, almost like an altar missile, it looked like. And it was the family Bible and you could write your, you know, births and deaths and marriage, you know, statistics in there and so on. Uh, but the top one quarter to one third of the page is very large text of the scripture itself. But most pages, at least a half, sometimes more, sometimes a little bit less, half the page is footnotes, which are commentary from, from Reverend Haydock. And uh, to have a Bible with that sort of very high quality comment uh, commentary all together in one book, we have published it in a, it's an eight and a half by 11 size, but with modern paper, very, you know, a fine, um, expensive Bible paper, um, it doesn't have to be four inches thick anymore. It's, it's two inches or less. <laughs> and so it's easily transportable, um, but for, Reading the scripture and reading commentary at the same time, it's a it's a very popular edition. We we sell a lot of them. Yes. So that's uh that those are our uh scriptural, you know, offerings. Um and it's a very big part of Loretto's business to promote the Dewey Reams and the Vulgate and the sound scriptural interpretation. People ask for solutions so instead of, hey, we hear about problems all the time. Here's a solution. You go to Loretto Publications. Yeah. Maybe you buy some of this for your priest and so seminary, a seminary, donate it through the seminary and buy it for your local priest. And maybe he can look at it and you get better sermons, better education, better scripture studies. Who knows? Uh, some you might, he might already have it. So uh, yeah. those are just some ideas that you're seeing back there. Okay. What can I do about it? Obviously, do it for your family and kids and for long term. It's an investment for your salvation, in a sense. But so who's going to step up and buy one for the parish priest and the seminary, help educate the future in a bigger way? This do this Haydock Bible is a very popular wedding gift. We sell mm -hmm. a lot of the people for wedding gifts. And many, many people buy the Alapide Commentary for their parish priest, their pastor, or some friend of theirs or relative that's just ordained. Um, you know, we, we just gave a copy to a, a friend of ours who was ordained for the Institute of Christ the King a couple of years ago. And he, he, he I, didn't, I never see him or talk to him. He doesn't thank me for it. He really appreciates it very much, the Alapi Day. I bet. Yeah. Well, Doug, appreciate it. Any, fi any final words? Uh, 
No, not in particular, but uh, the next talk we have, uh, we're going to talk about liturgy um, and liturgical books. And one of them, he actually does some scripture studies, uh, commentaries in his writings, too. So, Oh, yes. Kind of like a hybrid in a sense. <laughs> yes. In, in fact, it, he quotes Lapide a lot. Uh -huh. You see this with the saints, this cross-pollination of their... Um, their uh, commentary or their uh, their moral teachings. Um, we'll talk about some of the modern saints who have depended very much on Cornelius Lapide and St. Thomas Aquinas, of course, his Summa, which is theology, but um, the Catena as well, which focuses on scripture. At some point, do we'll we'll do a, a class, uh, you know, a discussion on philosophy because uh, that's the other important foundation: yes. sound Catholic education. Yes. Well, Doug, appreciate your time, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time to talk about that. Thank you very much, Steve. God bless.